It is Locked on NBA. I'm David Locke. The scout joins us. NBA scout hired by an NBA team comes on our show anonymously to give his take on that condition of anonymity. We'll run through the Eastern Conference, who's a threat, what teams could pull upsets, which couldn't, what he thinks of the 76ers, real chances. We'll walk through the Western Conference as well. Some interesting thoughts on the upcoming free agency in the middle there, and some telling comments about Denver this year, a poignant thoughts about Anthony Davis, and are the Warriors vulnerable in the first round without Steph or in the Western Conference Finals against Houston? It's all coming up. First, we'll do a quick rundown of what happened last night in the NBA and then be joined by the scout. It's Locked On NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Locked On NBA. I'm David Locke. Before the scout joins us, let me just quickly run through the eight that took place last night and any significance. Cleveland grabs the win over Charlotte. LeBron was incredible. He had 41, 10, and 8. And Kemba Walker became the all-time leading scorer in Charlotte history. Philadelphia continues their winning ways, 118-101. The Philadelphia-Cleveland battle for three and four in the Eastern Conference is getting very, very interesting. And I'm sure Toronto and Boston are watching it closely as nobody really wants Cleveland in their side of the bracket. Portland didn't play Damian Lillard on the back end of a back-to-back after his monster night against New Orleans and lost. Surprisingly in Memphis, Marshawn Brooks out of Providence, former first-round draft pick, came out of nowhere to have 21 points for Memphis on their cast of characters. C.J. McCollum had 42 in the loss. Portland still seems pretty set in that third spot. Carl Anthony Towns had the biggest game in the history of the Minnesota Timberwolves last night with 56 points, 15 rebounds, and 4 assists as he carry, continues to carry them without Jimmy Butler uh, in 41 minutes of action and the Tom Thibodeau minute plan. Uh, they beat Atlanta 126-114 to last night. Uh, the surprise of the night, Boston, without Kyrie Irving, without Marcus Morris, without Al Horford, without Gordon Hayward, without Marcus Smart, wins in Utah on a Jalen Brown 3. 97-94, that opens the eyes of the L.A. Clippers, maybe of the Denver Nuggets a little bit, as Utah uh, still needs to secure a playoff spot. The Clippers took advantage with a 111-99 win on a back end of a back-to-back last night in Phoenix. Phoenix not playing Devin Booker or T.J. Warren. 27 for Tobias Harris. Great balance for the Clippers as they continue to play much better uh, after the Blake Griffin trade. Uh, Lakers won it last night, 103-93 over Dallas. Uh, Julius Randle, another big game. We'll talk about him coming up here with the scout uh, a little bit uh, in that ball in that game. So uh, no major uh, switches other than Utah's big loss to Boston, I think, makes Boston still be close enough to the number one seed to make Toronto work a little bit. Utah now looks a little bit more vulnerable with their schedule coming up of whether they're actually going to make the playoffs, nonetheless, to seeding. Uh, Minnesota got a much-needed win last night, and uh, some big ones uh, coming up tonight, uh, playoff implications. Washington is in Detroit. Uh, Oklahoma City and San Antonio, LaMarcus Aldridge unlikely to play or won't play in that one. Uh, so big one uh for Oklahoma City to secure their home court situation uh, in the Western Conference playoffs. All right, let's get to the scout. Great conversation here. I think you'll really enjoy it. Well, scout, thank you very much for taking the time. Let's let's move to the, and start in the Eastern Conference. And, and if I were to ask you to just tier things, like put the Eastern Conference in tiers of teams, how do you tier this right now? Um. I'd say if I'm going for the finals, I'd probably do Toronto, Cleveland, Boston in the first tier. 
Um, I think Toronto's clearly been the the best team in the East, uh, whether it's home, away, conference, out of conference. They've clearly been that all year long. But Cleveland obviously has the experience and has a good player. And uh, Boston, I think, has a, a good team with good players that have uh, experienced playoff success. So I have those three in my top. And then I think uh, Philly, Indy, really all of them are kind of in that next tier. I don't think there's a real separation except that Milwaukee doesn't seem to be playing very strongly right now. Um, but I think they can key it up to be as good as any of those other guys and could give Toronto some issues in the first round. All right, let's go to Toronto for a second. The bench has been the big differentiator from years past. A lot of people are talking style play and things, but really it's been that bench. Does that translate to the to the postseason? Um, except for C.J. Miles, none of those guys really played in the postseason. Uh, any significant minutes. A little bit of Norman Powell, I guess. But um, So I think that's, that's going to be a big deal. Um, they're going to start at home, so that gives them a chance to get some confidence. They have great home crowd, uh, and have proven that throughout the year, having one of the better home records in the league. So um, I think the the bench will be – it can be a differentiator when you look at the other teams that are involved because I don't think there's any other team that in the, in the East with the exception of a healthy Boston that has that kind of depth. When when you look at so what happens in the in the postseason, some of these guys are getting scouted a lot more detail. If they've got a flaw, it's being exposed. Teams are teams are prepared for those. Do you do you see that energy unit at, like Pascal Siakam, who's been great? Can he suddenly does he get exposed a little bit in the postseason, or is just the essence of the way they play in short enough stints they'll be all right? Uh, I think you're so focused on that first group that uh, you're more worried about, you know, DeRozan's drives and Kyle Lowry and everything that goes along with that first group. That the second group, I think, and one of the benefits of them is that they played together so much this year that they have they're like a whole other team, and so I think it's hard when you're focused on that first group to really make a emphasis on what you're going to do as a group against their second team. Now you're going to take away some of their individual strengths, but um, some of those other teams don't know who, who their bench guys are. So it's kind of hard to be ready and prepare and try to take away everything uh, with that second group. Cleveland, you said it. They have a pretty good player. Uh, does anything else matter, or is LeBron just that great? I don't think at this stage. Um, they haven't shown with this after the trade that they have any type of cohesion or synergy, really, as a as a group. I think LeBron's been carrying as heavy load as, as he has at any other time in his career. And he's obviously playing playing MVP level, franchise level, great level, um, and it'll be enough to to get him through 
you know, probably to the finals, I would, I would assume. Uh, I had one coach in the NBA say to me, he thought Indiana could beat somebody in the first round, that they have a star player in Oladipo, though he has not been as good since the break, uh, that they played hard and that they were versatile. Of Indiana, Washington, Milwaukee, and Miami, if you thought if you had to pick one of those to win a first round series, I left out Philadelphia on purpose. Uh, which of those do you think is most likely to grab a first round series? Uh, the healthy John Wall, I'd say Washington one, Milwaukee two, Indiana three. Why is Milwaukee? I was talking to someone the other day about Milwaukee. And the one thought I, I had was whether or not maybe there's something on that team that we're overvaluing, right? So they, they get rid of Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty's coaching them now. And, and a lot of things aren't that different despite the fact that the coaching's different, which begins to lead me to believe that maybe there's someone on this roster that we're overvaluing or that we don't – there's something in this team that's just fundamentally not as good as we think it is. Do you buy that? Uh. I'll nominate Eric Bledsoe. If if you want me to nominate someone, that'd be the guy I'd I'd say uh has been the difference in their team, you know, since the since the trade. He moved Brogdon out of there, Brock steady hand, he could make threes, uh he kept the floor spaced, he didn't have a problem with Giannis, uh being such a ball user. And I think Bledsoe is, uh, he's taken away some of his usage. He's not a good three point shooter. Uh, he makes mistakes gambling defensively. Um, that'd be my, you know, John Henson's not, he's not going to start on a whole lot of teams, uh, than Milwaukee, but, uh, I think you can get by with him with, and I think they had a good chemistry going before that trade, and uh, that was a concern, I think. Philadelphia tightens up their rotation in the playoffs, and Bede plays a little bit more. How dangerous are they? Um, you know, if they're in the the fourth spot, I mean, I'd love to see Cleveland-Philly if somehow that worked itself out, which it still could in the first round. That'd be the first round, and uh, you know, Philly has great home record or a very good home record and they have great fans. They're not as good on the road, but are close. You have JJ who has some playoff experience, but after that, they're a young team. I think they can win a first round series, no doubt, but they're kind of one of those teams that you look at from past years that, you know, they have to go through the, growing pains and get into the playoffs and get used to it. But I think they're young enough and they have enough talent with that first line group that they could make a, they could win a first round. I'll say it that way, but uh, I think they're going to have a tough time. And when they're playing one of those uh, more veteran teams, unless it's Cleveland, because I think they match up well with Cleveland. I mean, the ex- exception to that rule was, was Shaq and Penny in Orlando. Right or or maybe even Dwight in Orlando. Any thought that you don't think Philadelphia could be one of those teams? Um, 
anything can happen in, in the NBA, but I'm going to say no. Okay. I mean, it's interesting. Since January 1st, I, I probably – I think my instinct is I agree with you. It's it, You dig into some of the numbers, though. The last 40 games, I mean, that's the second, third best defensive team in the league – they're about top ten offensively. They're about the third or third best team in the league in the last forty games. I, I, I just wonder whether or not something might have. They, they may be better than we realize. Now, some of the, it's the schedule is harder on the front side, but uh, there, there's some signs. All right, let's go before we finish up on the East. Uh, Boston's the team we haven't talked about enough. Uh, they're obviously beaten Mr. up now. Locke. Yes, Mr. Locke. as you, the experienced teams in the NBA. Um, I don't think maybe value post all-star break basketball much as young teams do. So um, there's a tendency for young teams to try to want to win every game. And there's a tendency for veteran teams to try to be healthy during the playoffs. So that's going to be my caveat for your previous statement. Well, it's a fair point and a good rule of thumb always in the league is the first 20 games are the best indicator of playoff performance, not the last 20 games. Anytime you hear a pundit talking about, well, in the last set of games, go back to their first 20 games. It's always a better indicator of playoff success. So that's a good, that's a, that's a fair point, Scout. Uh, Boston, likely without Kyrie Irving in that first round series from everything I understand, uh, are they at all vulnerable or is that just collection of talent as it has shown on a West Coast road trip going 4-0 without many of their main guys, uh, just t- too good uh, to have anything crazy happen to them? And then with Kyrie, are they good? In, do you think, you know, would you would you put them as a favorite or do you still hold that in, in Cleveland's hands? Um, I would think that Boston will be – We'll have a hard time, but win in the first round, and they'll have a great chance to win in the second round. I don't know without a healthy Kyrie and the rest of the team that you know they're they're going to make it to the NBA Finals, but um, they might be one step away from from that. Like they're going to have to have a superlative play from. From Marcus Morris and those guys that uh, help space the floor for them. Um, you know, Al Horford's a great player, but a complimentary player. So there, he needs to be the the third best player offensively, I think, best player defensively. And um, it's important for him to be on the floor, but I think one guy that is important for them in the playoffs is Marcus Smart. And you know, there's obviously by the second round, there's chance he could be back, but I think he's a big key for them defensively as they move past that first round matchup, maybe, but get into the second round and beyond is um, having him out there to help defensively on the wing and help make up for some of the defensive efficiencies that um, that Kyrie has. We'll move to the Western Conference uh, with the scout. I'll have one lingering question uh, from what he just said uh, as we continue with the scout here on Lockdown NBA. Uh, before we jump Western Conference, Marcus Smart, what kind of market do you think he has in the offseason? Um, there's only a limited number of teams. Obviously, every free agent thinks they're worthy of, of a lot of money. Most of them think they should get the max and 
Um, there's only a limited number of teams that can get him. I think he has a niche market in that um, he's, he is who he is. He's a great defender. He's tough. He can play through the ball. You can play the ball through him on offense, but he's obviously not a, a tremendous three-point shooter. But I think he could be a, a piece for another playoff team. Um, but I think he's hard to go on a bad team because his deficiencies stand out more than his positives. It's an interesting group, that 2014 draft class that's up. Jabari Parker, Aaron Gordon, Dante Exum, Marcus Smart, Julius Randle. Like, those are all guys, I believe, that are restricted free agents on the market this year. It's pretty interesting. What's your initial take just on that? Is there, like, all of them have pretty significant flaws, and frankly, the way Randall's played recently might be the best of the group at this point, but what, what's your vibe on that five and what their market's going to be? Um, I think because of, like you said, the the group itself and the flaws, they all they all can make a case they're the best of that group. Um. You know, and that's another issue with Milwaukee that we didn't address is the reincorporation of Jabari Parker. Um, they've had a lot of their success when he wasn't playing. And he's one of those guys that he knows he is a free agent. So he's concerned with getting his, his game on. Uh, I think if you were asking this scout, uh, Marcus Smart would be my number one guy in that group. And uh, Randall, based on the way he's played recently, would be would be too. But you know, he's a interesting player in in the way he plays, and uh, think he's got to be a. There's a certain team that's going to be a good fit for him. There's a lot of teams that wouldn't necessarily. Um, right now, the way the Lakers are playing and. Uh, they're not playing for anything, but the way they're playing and getting up and down the floor, that works to his benefit. He has a guy who passes it to him up, you know, pass the ball up ahead to him. I think uh, the west side is definitely a better side for him since there's really, a, it's maybe a stereotype, but typically the west teams are getting up and down the floor a little bit more than, than the east team. And I think his deficiencies show up in a half-court setting. You made the comment when we were just talking about the East. How careful as a scout do you have to be about this time of year and making real evaluations on players in this period of the season? I think it depends on the player. Uh, I think a lot of times the guys that um, at this time of year as a if you were a personnel scout, you'd be watching specifically the free agents and unrestricted free agents that might be available. You're watching the young guys that, um, you know, you'd like to maybe trade for because they're still on a rookie contract and have great value. Um, so when you get to watch the bad teams, you get to see those young guys that are on the rookie contracts playing more. So that's a benefit. Um, with the uh, better teams, you know, I think you get to see them as they're ramping up for the playoffs and 
you might see them at a higher level of intensity or execution. Some of the teams that are fighting for the spots, like a Denver or Utah or Clippers. Um, but I think the veteran teams, you have to, like I said, you have to be cautious because you can go to a Rockets game and see no James Harden, see no Clint Capella, and, uh, or watch Boston and see Terry Rozier go for 35 in a game against the Kings, and you're debating whether uh, is it because he's playing against the Kings or is it is he that guy that if he gets more time, he's going to show out and he's going to be a started quality player or is he best in the system? And I think those are kind of questions that you ask as a personnel scout at this time of year. Interesting. Uh, let's go to the Western Conference. Uh, I'm going to zero in on two teams that I, I at this point I'm pretty certain are going to make it. Uh, Portland and Oklahoma City both have played. Oklahoma City's played a softer schedule. One Portland's just been really good. Let's start with OKC. They've been the mystery all year long. Um, for those who've listened to me on Locked on NBA, this is just who I think they are. Are you seeing anything different about them that leads you to believe that they're going to be a quote playoff team, not a regular season team? Uh, I was actually in the building when they played on Sunday, so had a chance to see them playing head to head, and it was a uh, you know Melo's four shots there at the end of the game that gave Oklahoma City a chance. Um, I think they could easily be a first round flame out. Just depends on the matchup, but um, if they are fifth seed or lower and they start on the road. Um, you know, they have a great home court and it's pretty consistent with their fan base and playoffs. They'll be ramped up and everybody will be hyped and they'll have a chance to maybe get to if they start off at home and kind of get a better feeling about one another and get rolling. But, uh, if they start on the road, I think they could have some, they could be a possible first round flame out. Um, I don't think they're very deep at all. And so then you have to have uh, a t- good mellow, whether it's 2010 mellow or whoever it is, you have to have a good mellow. But I think the roster's flawed to begin with, um, with those three guys. And I don't know that there's much, you know, unless it's just one of those things, like I said, where they start the playoffs at home and they, they feel good about themselves and, make a couple shots, but um, I think as they get in against some of the other teams, they just, the other teams just have more depth than them, and it will have a chance to uh, make that a problem. You know, 2010 was a long time ago. Uh, I'm aware. I don't know if everybody in Oklahoma City is, but I'm aware. I want to share with you a play that I saw the other night, and and maybe I overthink about these play this play but so it's the new orleans portland game was incredible the other night and there's so there's probably 30 seconds left portland's ahead 105 103 and new orleans misses and uh it is it's one oh i'm let's see i want to make sure i'm exactly right on this one just because so it's 103 101 Drew Holiday misses a seven-footer with 38 seconds left. So now Portland has the ball with 38 seconds left on kind of a loose ball rebound. Uh, 
up two. I mean, New Orleans, you got to get a stop, right? I mean, like, or else you lose. Right. Damian Lillard comes up to the front court. Anthony Davis, who's been unbelievable all night, does not run down the floor. Lillard curls out to the left side because he's going to run clock. Suddenly realizes that AD hasn't run down the floor, so he beats the guy guarding him, drives to the basket, misses the layup. Anthony Davis actually never runs all the way back to the rim, and Aminu gets inside of him and taps it in for the layup. It's 105-101. The game's over. From an evaluation standpoint, here's Anthony Davis, who's been unbelievable all night, 36, 14-4-6, playing on a hobbled ankle, and yet on that play, with everything on the line, does not run the floor. How should I think about that? <laughs> I appreciate your detailed description. Um, I don't know. I think there are some people around the league that would say that might uh, be indicative of, of something about Anthony Davis that keeps him one step below and fighting with his with his team to be relevant in the playoffs. Um, I think that's why they went out and got DeMarcus Cousins. Is um, There's no doubt he's one of the better skilled players and has had, has carried the load since, since Cousins has gone out. But there's always been some question about him of where he can carry a team that's why they went out and got another superstar. So um, it's a little surprising. Obviously. It's probably surprising to everyone. Maybe tweaked his ankle. I'm not sure, but um, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he was tired. But I would like to think that a really good defensive player like Rudy Gobert would have ran the floor and at least got involved for the offensive rebound. I'll post that play at, or defense rebound, excuse me. I'll post that play at lockedonnba.com and let people uh, have their own evaluation of, of that if they care to. Just in fairness, since it's you know visual description uh, of everybody. Uh, right, let's continue on uh, the West, Portland. I know. I mean, I, I don't need to ask you the tiers, right? We know that there's two tiers. We'll get to the big question in a minute. Portland, how much can they, if they get Golden State in the second round and Steph's not right, how good is Portland? Uh, They're good enough with their collection in the top six, uh, top seven players, that if it could be a quick series, like if they could sneak in and do it in five games, Somehow, um, they have a chance, but I think I don't think Portland has. They have two great guards. There's no doubt about it. They have two guys on the wings that can defend. Uh, you never know what you're going to get with Mo Harkless every night. You know, with uh, Aminu, that he's always going to be able to be out, defend, switch. He can affect the. Uh, Golden State guards with his help. He is, um, he's always around the ball. He's not going to give you a lot offensively every night, but can hit the corner three, play in transition. Um, you know, Nurkic is, when he's right, when he's on 
when he's good in Nurkic. Um, he's definitely a difference maker. It'd be fun to watch him and Zaza if he's healthy playing against each other in a playoff series. I'm sure there'd be some technicals and flagrant fouls. Um, but I don't know that Portland has exceptional depth uh, when you take away. Uh, Napier's been playing well, and, um, you know, he puts pressure on teams with his offense. And Evan Turner comes off the bench and plays well wing-wise. So I think six or seven, they're fine. But, uh, you know, the next guy is like Ed Davis or Zach Collins or – who's a rookie like I don't I don't know that you got much more than uh top seven there that I'd feel great about going against uh teams trying to win a championship still everybody likes to say right now that you you don't want to play them in the playoffs it's like this but New Orleans San Antonio Utah Minnesota do you really not want to play them in the playoffs I mean those can those can those any of those four teams really win a first round playoff series so you're saying the Clippers are going to make it? Well, I haven't gotten to Denver and the Clippers. Fine, we include we include Denver and the Clippers in that conversation. I don't think the Clippers are out no, in any you way. You don't have to include Denver. I'm saying you should include the, the Clippers. Clippers. So. All right, so the New Orleans, but, San Antonio, Utah, Minnesota, Clippers, and obviously playing the Thunder or the Blazers is better than playing the Warriors or the Rockets. But of of those teams, which do you think is really most legitimately of those five teams a threat to win a playoff series? Uh, healthy LaMarcus Aldridge, you can never count out the Spurs, um, even though their road, their road record this year is incredible for them. It's like a minus 10. Um, but I think they're a team that, you know, can still figure out a way. Minnesota, I don't think any of those teams, like I said, from the tier stance, then you have two teams or you have two teams if Golden State's healthy. But I think any other team in that mix can win, um, could win a series. Obviously, they're going to have to, but two of them are going to have to. But um, I don't think anything about the bottom teams not being able to Go win in in Portland, even though you know those those two teams there in Portland and Oklahoma City probably have the best one of the best home court advantages. And then you throw the Spurs in there that way. Um, it's just one of those things. I think this year, whoever has the home court advantage at that second tier is is probably going to move on. You surprised Denver is not going to make the playoffs? No. How come? Uh, I think they have a flawed roster to begin with. Um, I think it's hard to have Jokic and Millsap together because I think they both need to have the ball in their hands to be the players both of them are. Um, and I think it's it's hard. They're really both fours. And they really are both good passers. And Millsap's a better defender, probably better rebounder. Um, but I think they're hard two guys to play together. And 
they are their two best players. And then they have a point guard that is a scorer, an okay defender. And after that, then a lot of the defense goes back on those, on those bigs. And, you know, Jokic is not a great defender. Um, Plumlee gets a lot of notoriety for being a good defender, but very foul prone. And, um, I just think they're fundamentally flawed. They, and the most amazing stat was when I saw a trolling Twitter that said that ever since Moutier's trade, that Gary Harris's production has gone down. Will Barton's production's gone down and, um, even Murray's production has gone down. And I don't know if there's a real cause and effect there, but, uh, I've been reminded by other people that numbers don't lie, so I'm going to go with that as an interesting sidelight for the day. I think that was a shot at the host right there. I, I'm, I'm pretty certain. I'm pretty certain that was a shot at the host. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to talk about this a lot. I assume they're going to match up for a, a two-week span. We'll talk about it then. But right now, uh, are we just being foolhardy in worrying about Golden State and that they still maybe have the – a roster collection that's as great as any that's ever been put together? Or do you think that they're legitimately worn down and worn out? I think they're legitimately worn down. Um, Much like, you know, the team that once was Cleveland. It's a long year when you go to the finals and when you go to the finals two times back-to-back, incredibly long and when you go three times is even longer and no amount of ramping it up in April to ready to play um, by the time you get to that that last playoff series when it really matters or even the division finals or conference finals um, I think it, it legitimately wears on you emotionally physically and mentally and so I I think uh, it'll be hard for either of those teams to be back in the finals honestly because NBA is so excited for that Houston-Toronto matchup on national television Um, Golden State more vulnerable get to get beat by a better team in Houston in the conference finals or in the first round without Steph when they just haven't clicked in yet I think the first round is a fair guess. Interesting. That's a little bit of a shot. That's a little bit of a shot at KD. When you look at the teams they could be playing against, um, I mean, if the Clippers take over the Jazz, then I think Golden State's fine there. But I think if if the Jazz were to make the playoffs and they somehow jumped up over – Minnesota and they played Golden State. I think the Jazz are fine there as far as having a chance. You know, the way the Spurs are playing with Marcus out and they could they could drop down like it. It's just such I think any of those three teams could beat them in San Antonio, Minnesota, or Utah because um I think the big man is important against Golden State and 
Utah has a pretty good big guy. Minnesota has a really good big guy. And if Aldridge is healthy, then the Spurs have have a guy that creates problems for them. Then do the Pelicans count in that as well? Because they got a pretty good big guy. I don't have any confidence in the Pelicans. <laughs> on that note, on that note, we end it with the scout. Scout, thank you very much for the insight, the time. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you, sir.